GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly blockchain gaming roll-up. We are recording this on Friday the 19th of August 2022. We've got Philip Collins, we've got Devin Becker, we've got myself, Nico Vereke. Today we're talking about the Blocklords Mint. Devin also in the past week has built a game just to prove a point, casually. Um, we're talking about the Matchbox Raise, Axie Origin economy updates, and Microsoft, who finally decides to touch Web3. Um, as you can see, I have a, a slightly different background than usual. That's because I'm on the, I'm actually on my kind of honeymoon. I had my second wedding party last weekend, and now we're in Bordeaux. So I'm recording from here. Uh, brought my mic and everything just to tell my wife and make it clear that she married a real nerd that wants to talk about games at 7 a.m. in the morning. So that's, um, yeah, that's that. <laughs> Let's talk about the news. So, um, yeah, first thing, Blocklords Mint. Um, I had a recording with David, who's Blocklords CEO, and I'm super excited about Blocklords as a game. Um, I once did a, a post about how I could ever see a play and earn economy work, or a play, sorry, play to earn game work, where like a significant part of the player base um, earns like a non like a significant amount of money as in like more than five dollars a day or something um, and one of the ways that would work in my opinion would be asymmetric gameplay where you have like different game loops within the same game and so that's basically what block lords is doing block lords is like this huge medieval like fantasy style game where you have you have like lords and then you have knights and raiders and farmers and so you know different types of roles for different types of players um and so you can now pray register to get like an nft to actually like become a lord and, and start playing um so yeah that's happening I'm, I'm super excited about that game um it looks really cool and it's a great team as well so yeah yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, we're not directly involved in Blocklords, but I can say that that's one of the coolest game concepts I think I've seen in Web3. I view it as like a persistent Age of Empires style game. And I think it's such an interesting dynamic with having these roles as part of a hierarchy, as part of a bigger game ecosystem. Definitely, I think one of those games that's kind of leading the charge from V0 to V1 of, of Web3 gaming. So definitely excited for that one very very cool content it reminds me a lot of kind of the modern um 4x games like rise of kingdoms um which uh there was a because ryan foo is a, is a big huge rise of kingdoms fan so I, I played it with him a bit to get the kind of the idea and then they delphi put out that uh that sort of article or essay or whatever it was on rise of kingdoms which had some pretty good detail as well and it, it kind of highlights that same kind of idea of that that sort of hierarchy uh the political stuff I've, i did find the political side of the games pretty interesting and i'm curious to see how that goes with with when you start to make it more web 3 technically there's already one kind of like similar to those those rise of kingdoms 4x style games that does have uh blockchain stuff which is league of kingdoms so that's probably the closest thing we have leading up to block lords in terms of that but they like League of Kingdoms has been like slowly dipping their toes. They started with land, but it was like this one minor thing, and then they've like slowly added more. But I think Block Lords is the first one, just like jumping off the diving board straight in to like the NFT side of things. And and I'm curious to see how feudalism works out in uh, in this new Web three economy, and whether or not it's something we actually want, or if we're like crap, what what did we ask for here? Um, but it relates interestingly to, and something we may also get to later. But uh, something that that Gabe Layden mentioned in his um spaces uh twitter spaces rant 
that I thought was particularly interesting and relevant to this, which was um, he was saying the misconception around um, the pay to win stuff is that whales are paying to be kind of killers to dominate others. But his point was that they were paying mostly to be kings and judges, that they were paying to be the people that uh, people come to for help. That they're that they want to judge others and kind of rule over others, and that really seems kind of parallel to this idea of this hierarchy system, and it it does sound like um, you know whales probably if I understood block lords correctly will probably be pretty high up in that feudal system or lords mm-hmm. or kings or whatever, and mm-hmm. so I maybe it will be a really good fit for four X style whale players, and like the economy will asymmetrically uh, you know as you mentioned match up with with the fact that most players are kind of peasants and uh and serfs and and most yeah you know, and the, the the few the mighty with the the uh you know checkbook end up being the kings and you know maybe that's what we'll get i i'm i'm just really interested to see as an experiment um as the conversation that you had nico previously with them was was very fascinating in terms of their thought process on it yeah i think it's actually a trend that i've seen through a number of pitches where one thing that is not talked about as much as I might expect is the meta game that Web3 is opening up where with some of these different systems and, and roles within an economy with a, with a provable kind of rarity or a provable role within a broader ecosystem, there's almost a social element where a big portion of a lot of the games that I've seen actually have nothing to do with the digital interface of the game. And it's this entirely like mental, social, political side of moving forward in progression. So I think Lockwood's is maybe one of the, the most well thought out examples I've seen, but it, it's definitely a trend that NFTs in general has kind of opened up over the last year or so. Yeah. 100%. It reminds me of a conversation I had with David Amor. He's the uh, CEO and co-founder of Flamant, building, um, building like fully on-chain games. He's part of VogDAO as well. Um, and so I had a conversation with him. And so... Funny thing is about him is he built a game called Buzz, which is a music quiz, which a lot of people don't know about, but it was a ginormous hit in Belgium. And so like everyone I know, we used to play that game. And so like one of the things that he told me was, yeah, one of the things that I wanted to do with the game was I wanted to take some of the gameplay out of the game. And so, you know, there are parts in that game where you like you have to decide who you're taking some points away from, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's like a timer and then like I remember like that moment you're like screaming to each other, right, in that room because it's you're like it's it's one v one v like it's the four people playing against each other and you're like screaming, No, don't take points from me, take points from them. Um and and you know, I, I think a big part of what blockchain I think will do and the you know, the best blockchain games will likely you know, a lot of that game will actually happen outside of you know get the games themselves which could be like through other interfaces onto the blockchain or like within Discord, uh, like political games, etc. Um, and so yeah, your 100%. loot shirt is a good example of that. Another one, man. It's the loot verse. We're only in the loot verse. Everything we do is part of the loot verse in Absolutely. some way. Um, <laughs> yes. And then uh, one also thing that I thought interesting because you know Devin, when you were speaking, it sounded like you're always thinking of like player archetypes, as in like there's a player and there's a whale and there's an unwhale, etc. I feel like the way Bucklords is designing their game is also uh, tailored around the, the play-to-earn gaming guilds where, you know, you have this group of people that actually own assets which couldn't exist before the blockchain um, or, like, the, in a very difficult way. And so, you know, this is also, like, something different where, you know, every individual could be a farmer, but then together they're a lord, if that makes sense. And then together they make, the, you know, the major decisions. Um, yeah. I think you're uh, assuming a lot more cooperation than might actually happen, too. 
Dude, when there's well, money wonder, involved, people can work, work together, no? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say is I wonder how the financialization aspect of this works because it does seem like an added layer of complexity to try to balance people progressing through genuine skill and dedication to a game versus just being able to spend their way to a top. So I think there's, there's an interesting balance that you have to strike between your wallet speaking for your, your ability to progress and just genuinely putting in the time effort and showing off skill to get to that like king level versus being a you know peasant or farmer. Well, there's already so much yeah. of that in, in, in things like Rise of Kingdoms where, like, there's this competition to that. Like, uh, just, just talking to Ryan about it before, like, just the amount of betrayal and other behind-the-scenes things that happens. Like, I got to peek into some of the chats because he would actually run as a king and, like, I actually get to see, like, some of the conversations that happens and the betrayal, the reputations. It's like this Game of Thrones kind of thing going on. And I imagine when it's even more financialized with uh, NFTs and stuff like that, it's going to get even crazier. Uh, and, and I look forward to seeing, I hope, I hope we get Eve style, uh, things coming out of this, right? Where like Eve is sometimes more fun to read about than it is to play because of the big, huge betrayals and other things like that. So I hope a block Lords kind of takes a page from Eve there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, good. Next point. So we do, do we not want to touch a bit more about, um, Layden? What's his first name? Sure. Yeah. Like, uh, I think he, uh, so for, for people who aren't aware, um, He's uh, the, the guy who founded Machine Zone, uh, did Game of War Fire Age, which was insane and created kind of the big 4X genre, um, and they made a couple of hits after that as well. But that's the one, that and uh, Mobile Strike are the ones people probably know him for the most because of all the marketing and all the other stuff. Um, and also was involved in America's Army, I guess, before that. Uh, so dude's been around for a while, and he kind of, I guess, had retired, essentially, uh, from, from game development, and then just got so excited by Web3, he came back. Um, and then started a company called Limit Break, and I guess they've been working for about a year, um, according to what he said on the Twitter space uh, that he, he did recently, and I think it was the 15th. Um, but it was it was a pretty interesting conversation um, where he was really kind of digging into like a lot uh, about his motivations, the way he thinks about Web3, and the biggest claim, of course, which was that free-to-play is just dead, and then anyone's doing it is like a dinosaur now. Like he was, he was talking about it the way like mobile game developers maybe were talking about uh, Facebook canvas and stuff like that, but he has the pedigree going back to like having done MySpace apps and stuff. So like he's, he's seen kind of the, the, the things, but his point was like that, that web three will be uh 10 X to free to play what free to play was to consoles, uh, and, and big, big claims, but the dude's like trying to put his, you know, his money where his mouth is. And like, as he says, like about a hundred times in the, in the spaces, he, he intends to be the number one game and the, the game that everyone in the world plays. So, uh, we'll see if he can uh, and can make it happen, but he did put out some NFTs, uh, an NFT collection that I think supposedly did pretty well. wasn't exactly to my taste in terms of what what kind of NFT I would buy, but uh, it seemed to do quite well. And uh, I'm really curious to see what Limerick Break is going to do because I don't think he's just going to like take 4x and bring it over, right? I think he's got new ideas uh, around what you could do in Web3, um, a lot of stuff. And and I think the other surprise for me was him just admitting that like he didn't like the adversarial nature of free to play in terms of like kind of working against players and he's happy to be a lot more aligned now with communities and with players and really building in a way that like just makes everyone excited uh which i think is really cool uh because we tend to have this view of free to play developers uh that is kind of adversarial and and seeing them actually genuinely you know that actually have a heart after all you know he's got a soul what uh you know because you see something like game warp you know fire engine you're just like these dudes are insanely greedy like you know whatever but we'll see Mm-hmm. Did he did he mention why he thought that free to play was gonna die? Like, w- yeah, what he just, exactly? He, 
just the, the because Web three was just that good, right? Like that that it was that big of a difference that you know. And we've heard it a few times where people say like uh, in the, in the future here, people are going to be like uh, you know scoffing if a game doesn't let you own your stuff. Uh, mm. Those kinds of things where it's like where supposedly we're going to really like shift the mindset of people so much that that people are just going to be like free to play is dumb. Like I can't believe I ever played that kind of mentality. Mm. The way maybe, like I said, maybe we look at like Farmville on Facebook Canvas or something and just be like, I played that at one point. Oh, geez. What was I thinking? Mm. Like, I think it's that kind of mentality shift that and I think he he has kind of pointed out. He thinks the money is just going to be like crazy bigger. Like he made one really interesting point as well that I wasn't aware of, which is that um, Apple does have a limit on in-app purchases to where a single purchase can only be $100 max. And his point was like, he's like, good luck finding even an NFT that's like hundred dollars or less like the money in nfts and stuff like that of course in theory right we you know maybe coming out of the other side of a crypto winter it won't be necessarily as crazy but i, I do think there is yeah maybe the potential for a lot more money uh in web3 because of the idea of ownership means that like when you buy something and you spend crazy money there is the potential for return on that either through profit or just actually being able to cash out uh when you're done playing stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah and I mean, on the mobile side, too, there's a lot of legislation in the U.S. that's being pushed right now around opening up these marketplaces. And I think that's just going to continue to extend the possibility yeah. that he's referring to around unlocking whales even further than they're, they're currently unlocking being reached. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, really? I, and to your point on the free-to-play stuff, it, it is one of like the great ironies of blockchain gaming in its current form where everyone talks about how at least everyone on the opposition side talks about how predatory it feels and how scammy it feels. And it's like, that's kind of the definition of free to play. Like it has to be predatory. Like they're right. milking, they're milking dollars out of your attention. Um, and even trying to coerce you to, to pay in ways that you might not have expected you wanted to, but like it is by definition, almost like preying on an audience because that's what, that's just the model that it's it is. It's a very ethical gray area because there's a, you can look at it as a way of like, well, they're letting all these people play for free and they're just taking the rich players and like dispersing yeah. it in this communist sort of way. Like you can look at it in so many different ways. That's why it's like such a gray sure. area ethically uh, and an interesting one. And I think it is nice to see that people treat Web3 as like maybe a potential like an antithesis of that to some extent. I mean, we'll see, right? Like it's it's still pretty new and maybe we'll see some some extra evil stuff that somehow is far worse than the idea of milking whales. But yeah. And I don't even know if it's like ethically gray area. I just think it's like, it's a business model and it's worked for a lot of people. And so they're going to continue pursuing it. And um, yeah, I mean like predatory is a, a very strong word for it. Yeah, and obviously like it, there's a, there's a spectrum, there's a spectrum for, for being predatory. Yeah. But I mean, when you, when, I just think it's kind of funny sometimes when, like people that really hate web three games because right. they're predatory are playing games that are arguably 10 X more predatory than anything they could find right. in the web three world right now. Exactly. Like people messing with loot boxes and stuff in these other games and then complaining about free to play. And it's like, mm. but eh, I don't know. Like I, I personally am a huge fan of free to play because I don't play games for very long, very often. And I don't want to buy games just to try them for like a small, small period of time. And I'm also somewhat of a mid core spender. Like if I like a game a lot, I will spend, uh, not like crazy amounts, but I will spend if there's stuff that I want to get in it. Uh, and I, and I don't feel shame doing so because it's like, uh, I don't feel like I'm being manipulated, but I also, you know, I, I guess I have a high opinion of myself and, and my, my, my will that I can resist, uh, manipulative tactics, which probably is not true. It's very Dunning Kruger effect, I guess. Uh, but, 
it, it doesn't feel too predatory to me because I just feel like, well, I've got self-restraint. Like I can, I can pay for the stuff that I want to pay for and like enjoy the game. And I get to try all these games for free and just pay for the ones that I like and for the things that I like, which was supposed to be the original pitch of free to play. And I think for some people, at least like myself, it still rings true. Mm-hmm. I, I I do hope Gabe is right, and obviously, like, I can't push back on him too hard here. He's a he's a legendary game producer, um, but I think the inflammatory language is a little bit risky in the sense that it almost makes people dig in their heels even further, just for the sake of, you know, I'm on the other side. You're getting aggressive at my position now, and so now I just want to see you lose for another reason. I, judging so. by his tweets, I think that's the reaction he's going for. Like he's yeah. he's gone he's gone for some throats. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, interesting, so. but I hope he's right. I hope he's right because right. it, it definitely yeah. is not 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 bringing the other side over until he shows, and I, I'm sure he'll he'll he's pursuing action versus just words, but. We'll have to see what well, happens. I hope he's right for the sake of this being the future of gaming podcast and, and being the topic we're talking about the most. I, I hope so, right? Otherwise, we're, we're picking the wrong future timeline here. Guys, <clears throat> this is the internet, so it doesn't matter if he's right because we're talking about true. him now, so he already did his job, right? So Yeah, true. True. He true. understands the internet. That he, he's gets, good at marketing. He has that going for him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> good. All right. Awesome. The next topic is the Matchbox race. I've actually already mentioned Matchbox a few times uh, over the last months. So Matchbox I still is keep thinking a... you're talking about the cars. <laughs> Every time you, mean, you mention what, what cars? It, the Matchbox, Matchbox cars, like the little, uh, like, like Hot Wheels, those kind of like little um, die-cast metal cars. You're not familiar? Maybe it's a US Devin, thing. We're on the internet. We talk about digital games. Hey, Hot Wheels Smart has cars. NFTs, man. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, that's true. Um, I I haven't got those for a reason. Anyway, so Matchbox DAO is a like an ecosystem um, fund um, for games built on StarkNet. So StarkNet is developed by the company StarkWare, who is has built the technology which you know Immutable uses, which Sorare uses, um, and it's a, a way to like scale. The blockchain essentially it's like layer two on ethereum based on on zk zero knowledge technology and so stark net is going to be their open public blockchain it's like you would have polygon but then they would have stark net um where you can like bridge assets over and like once you're in you know on that chain things are just way cheaper and easier and faster so um you know they're building that and so you know matchbox dao is a like an ecosystem fund, you know, aiming aiming at bringing forward, you know, gaming on that on that chain, um, and we already talked about it a bunch. It's interesting because one, you know, what can you do with a blockchain once it's like way more scalable? Which Starknet, because they're using zk technology, is so. I mean, the the cost of transactions can go down by like a factor of twenty thousand, I believe, something crazy, and you know, so they have that, which is faster and cheaper transactions. But then the other thing is also they have. Um, they have ZK technology. So essentially they can, you can actually build games. Like you can build poker on chain, which is some people, like everyone's cards are on the chain, but only you know your cards. And then once you like, you know, when the, once the game ends, you show your cards and then you know other people's cards as well on the chain, which before that was impossible. And I know that a lot of people are like, ah, oh, you can never build good games on chain because, you know, you can always see everything that's happening. And now there's actual proof that doesn't, doesn't need to be that way. Um, anyway, so the, the, uh, they they raised, I believe, seven point five million. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, so um, yeah, solid solid raise, and um, yeah, I'm excited. Was going to be coming out of that. Definitely, it's probably going to take a while though. It feels yeah. like it's still pretty early stage. This mm-hmm. technology is so you know I can I can um, you know attest to that 
Stark Net was supposed to be further along than it is. So it's 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 taking a bit longer. And so I know some teams who are building on there that are um, you know being held behind by the technology that they're actually bu right. building on. And so um, yeah, I think you know before we see like I think initially we'll see like small proof of concepts, right? Like poker on chain. Um, and there's some other stuff that they're doing as well, like you know, and an NFT as an as a trainable AI. So basically, like there's this entity mm -hmm. on the blockchain that you can go train. And then theoretically, you know, if there's actually some value being created by you training that AI, you'd be able to like train to earn an NFT on the chain. Anyway, that's um, all random stuff that could be cool at some point. But yeah, Nico, for those teams, for? for those teams that feel like they're being held back a little bit by the slower development, do you think that there's a feeling of almost like regret or do you think there's a feeling of, hey, this is the future, best future technology. So when it's eventually ready, we'll be kind of at the forefront of what's possible. I think there's a mixed feel. I, I know two teams that or like, I know a bunch of teams, one of which decided to go, okay, we're going to stick with Starkware and Starknet. And another one who said, look, look, it's clearly not going to be, you know, done fast enough for us to build actually a good game. So we're going to, Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, so, and, uh, and, and they're gonna, um, and, and so we're gonna, what was it? We are going to, um, you know, switch to another chain for the time being. And if we can like go back. Mm. So there's, there's different, different things being done there. I mean, Got that's it. like a lot of people, um, switched off Ethereum, even to ZK uh, stuff like, um, uh, God's Unchained. It was originally on Ethereum and then like had to switch off to um, their own thing that created Immutable, um, which was using Stark tech, I believe. Um, I know it's ZK stuff. I think it might be Stark uh, where related stuff. Um, and so like, you know, that's that's a pretty common thing we're seeing. Like people try and scale up, realize it maybe doesn't do what they need to do and then switch off uh, to doing like whatever kind of compromise they need to do or even just push the technology more forward um, in terms of like switching off to something that uh maybe is a little early but i think you know it it's like a trade-off when you're an early adopter in a lot of this tech where it can either like be a huge pain and like costly and hurt uh and like sometimes you can just then all of a sudden be a big mover because of it or sometimes you could be like well we did all that work so other people could benefit at the end by being the second adopter it happens like both ways right um although second adopter has to be better at marketing generally mm-hmm Mm -hmm. um all right so yeah matchbox and stark nets um yeah we'll see how that plays out i think you know when it comes to this super 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 new technologies like it's way out there um if you look back at what people were saying about roll-up or like scaling solutions for ethereum initially it was all going to be optimistic roll-ups and you know zk roll-ups or knowledge roll-ups were a bit more out and they're actually like skipping the optimistic roll-up stage and they're immediately going for the ZK rollups and everyone's very excited about it. But it seems like, you know, there's still a lot of stuff to be figured out and a lot of work to do. You know, I know that um, the Starkware CEO is, is hiring energy, uh, engineers like crazy still and still looking. So, yeah, clearly it's not done yet and there's still some work to do. Building the future takes a lot of engineers, okay? <laughs> at least we might have the merge next month uh, for Ethereum. So, like, at least we're getting potentially some some upgrades, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. to, to, you know, our, our tech as things go. So mm -hmm. baby, baby steps and then big leaps and then baby steps again, back and forth, 100%. basically. Good. All right, Devin, do you want to talk us through the reason 
why you built a game over the past week? <laughs> yeah. Was- so, uh, and, and we, we talked about this on, on the last episode too of the, of the podcast where, you know, we had the conversation about interoperability and ownership and all that kind of stuff. And I felt like, um, that conversation was getting to a point where it was like, um, too theoretical, right? Like too many people talking about like stuff that's like possibly true, possibly not true, but it was like, it was very opinion oriented and like, that's cool for like theoretical armchair conversation kind of thing. But I was like, you know, we're, we're trying to push technology forward and, and games forward and stuff. So let's actually like, you know, take these ideas for a test drive instead of just thinking about them. And so like I had, um, so I work with the Crypto Raiders team pretty regularly um, on a consulting basis. And uh, I had just for fun, cause like we'd talked about some interoperability ideas and, and random stuff just uh, like off the cuff with that team. And um, I decided one day just for fun, like I whipped up a, um, a prototype of like, I'd been playing like vampire survivors and those kind of games. And I had made some of those kind of games actually a long time ago. Um, and so like, I was pretty familiar with, with developing that stuff really quickly. And so like I threw together like, like half as a joke, a prototype where I just took uh, assets, art assets from Crypto Raiders and made, and, and, and sound assets as well, and made like a little Vampire Survivors kind of game. Uh, and it was a few weeks back. And then because that conversation came up and I was like, you know what, let's, let's actually prove like what interoperability would be like with this. And so I decided to just go for it with that prototype and just say like, well, I have some time today, you know, it was on Saturday. And, uh, and just bang something out as quick as I could in terms of uh, demonstrating the different kind of parts of interoperability. You know, like that conversation we had with the kind of broken down magic card sort of thing. I wanted to kind of like demonstrate the different levels of that and, and, and so on. So we could actually then talk about that afterwards and have something we can literally point to. And you could go like, that's, that's BS what you did is interoperability, whatever. But we're pointing at a real thing and then are talking about a real thing instead of just uh, words about words. And so... Uh, it, you know, it's not like the greatest example of interoperability or anything like that, but basically I wanted to show like there's some different kind of approaches to how that works. Um, and so what I did is I, to, to be clear, I did use the art assets still from the game. Um, whereas I want to also make it clear that I could have also not, I could have hand drawn some stuff and gone a different route. Like if I didn't have permission to use the art in this case, because I work with the team, it was like not a big deal. Uh, but I also could have gone the other way. So the, the art asset stuff itself gets too kind of sometimes ends up too much of the conversation where you're talking about IP law and all these other things, but interoperability doesn't have to mean, uh, art or sound assets are transferred over. So just to be clear before anyone reads the article that hasn't already, like that's not the important part. The important part is, uh, you know, reading the data of an NFT and then doing something with that in the game. And, and to be fair, I, I did, I did cheat a little bit because I didn't feel like dealing with alchemy in terms of my time crunch. I didn't want to do the actual wallet reading. So I, I kind of skipped over the part where I had to read directly from the wallet, um, in real time. And I just took the JSON data that would be in the metadata of my actual Raider. Like I took my actual Raider, I took the data from it, uh, that you would actually get if you were to read my wallet. So in theory, I just, I just skipped the, the part of the step that was not important to the actual project because reading wallets, I don't want to say it's trivial, but it's a very repeatable process that is not necessarily like the point of interoperability in terms of like the tech. Right. And so then I took that and I just read the data from it and said, okay, first off I could implement the name of my character, right? Like that's easy. I'll display the name. And then it's like, okay, well then what else can I take? Um, uh, I can take, uh, stats about this character, right? Well, I've got six different attributes as a typical role playing game. And the part I wanted to demonstrate with that was that this idea that 
you don't have to take things over exactly as they are, right? Like Crypto Raiders works one way, right? Like it's got the stats and they affect combat in this very complicated way. And combat is this certain turn oriented thing. And I was building a very different type of game, right? It's this vampire survivors game. It's got its own thing. And so I took each of those stats and I seriously spent maybe 10, 20 minutes total combined time of coming up with what to do with those stats and implementing it as a, as to, to prove the point that like the idea of implementing, uh, data from another game in your game doesn't have to be the super complicated thing. Now, obviously every situation is different, right? This wasn't meant to be purely representative of every situation and, and what you, what you should do for your game. But it was, it was like, Hey, I could literally take each of these six stats, find unique ways to implement each of them. That makes sense for what that stat represents in crypto Raiders in a way that makes sense in this game too, and demonstrate that process so that like it affects your ability to play the game like better by by bringing it over and it, it was also to demonstrate this idea that um that vampire attacks don't have to be vampire attacks that they could be symbiotic too so this idea that like what you do in crypto raiders actually does have an effect in the game that i made because the the higher you level up your character i even took it to so that the gear that you had the the way it works in crypto raiders is it affects those same six stats so i did the same thing i took all the all the gear that you had even the gear that i didn't display and i took its stats and i applied those as well and so you can actually, like, as you level up your Crypto Raiders character, you know, if I was in theory reading from the wallet, it would actually affect your uh, character in this game. And so it showed that idea that there can be a symbiotic relationship because you, if you want to, like, have a better head start in this Survivor's game, you can go play Crypto Raiders Different and give yourself more stats and more uh, gear. And so this idea, it doesn't have to be straight parasitic um, interoperability. It can be, like, cooperative symbiotic interoperability. Should we continue without him for a bit? I think we'll have to. I think so. I was I was giving him a second to see if he came back, but I think I think we we lost him for a bit. Yep, definitely got rugged. Anyway, so um, would you want before we continue about that? You want to touch upon Microsoft and their first steps, baby steps into Web three? Yeah. So I think this is a, a theme that we've been talking about for a while now with with big brands taking baby steps into Web3 gaming and, and how they're approaching it. And so I thought an interesting news story over the last couple of weeks, I think it's a little over a week old now, was um, Microsoft giving a grant to a, a space-themed shooter called Star Heroes. And obviously, a lot of listeners probably never heard of Star Heroes. I hadn't heard of Star Heroes before this announcement, to be completely mm -hmm. honest. Um, and I think it shows that a lot of these big brands, and we've talked about this with Supercell in the past, for example, they, they want to do something because the cost of missing out on, on blockchain gaming, if it turns into the, the segment of gaming that a lot of people think of it as, the cost of missing out is so high that you can't do nothing, but you also don't want to put your, your most prestigious IPs at risk. And so I think we're going to see a lot more of these like small grants or small roll-ups and basically being test cases for these brands. Um, and so... You know, nothing, nothing too new there, but more of just like a continuation of this narrative we've been talking about of how are the big players going to get involved? It seems to be that the answer today is in very, very small ways um, mm -hmm. over time in, in, in incremental progress. And what, what I want to know is how here? involved they're going to be. What's that? I was going to ask, I was asking, what are the details of this exact like raise or grant? I actually don't know the size of the grant. Um, I think yeah, a big thing it. was that they were getting a, uh, access to Azure Playfab, um, 
so a, a pretty powerful toolkit um, that isn't necessarily just readily available for everyone. Um, and so I think that was one of the, the highlights of it was it was kind of entering a different class through this grant in addition to just the capital and the, the brand being associated with the, the IP. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. We're I, gonna I, say I want to see how it Welcome back, by the way. What's that? Yeah, my internet's been really bad like all week. Uh, it's made it hard to even do work half the time because I don't know why. Just on my desktop, I, I don't know. It's the point where I might as well just tether over my phone again. Sometimes internet, man. I'm not sure where it cut me off either. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, we can go back into that. But you were going to ask something or say something. Yeah, like I, I just want to know how involved these companies end up being, right? Because it's like, so what? What's the net benefit of throwing money at these things? Um, if like chances are most of these things aren't going to make them a ton of profit, right? Like it's like the supercells investment or this one or some of these other ones where it's like, I get that you're like kind of experimenting, but it's like, what are you hoping to get out of it as a big company? Right? Like you could already watch from afar anyone else's experiment. Like, so you don't get, you, you don't necessarily get any extra visibility except for maybe some behind the scenes. But I think as it is already, like web three is pretty transparent with a lot of people. So like, I don't mm -hmm. think you're getting extra benefit there. Uh, so I do wonder like how involved these companies are getting with the actual projects in terms of like, are they getting to like gain some knowledge and experience uh, from these people? Are they looking to possibly poach teams later on if it works out by having some of that seed money planted in there? Like, I want to know what they're looking to get out of it because it's not always obvious, like just putting money into it. This, these don't seem like investments in the, in the traditional like financial sense to me. Well, that's, that's pretty common with corporate VC in general. A lot of the times where, Return is part of the decision, but also they're a lot less price sensitive because a lot of times investments are almost like teeing up the optionality of an acquisition in the future. Yeah. I think in blockchain gaming, who knows, maybe, maybe the motivation is we can acquire some of the IP if it really takes off. Otherwise, maybe it is, let's just like figure out what's actually happening in the background here and get a little bit of exposure. But I do think it fits the traditional kind of ethos of of corporate vc which is not hey let's get in early and maximize the return on this investment it's let's get in early and see what we can do with this thing at some point undetermined date in the future it also makes shareholders happy as an added benefit it may be the only benefit for now that's a good point yeah the shareholder point of view is definitely usually important to that and they they're just like the way everyone wanted to hear metaverse on everything for a mm -hmm. while like mm -hmm. I, I could see that point of view yeah mm -hmm. yeah Good. Um, so, Devin, you were you were we like you, we lost you when you were talking about the vampire attack and the the more disembiosis so that's possible it. there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you guys missed too much. It cut me off kind of where, where somewhat where I was at. But yeah, the the idea that you know things don't have to be um, so aggressive with user acquisition and stuff like that. The games can find ways to work together because I find that like in that conversation about interoperability, like there's two points of views, like the point of view of like the vampire attack side of things where it's like this malicious thing. And there's the point of view of like, uh, why would I want to do the work to incorporate someone else's NFT? Right? Like, so in the game thing that I made is like, why, why would I do all this to incorporate crypto Raiders NFT? And it's like, well, I could also then make my own NFTs or, or tokens or whatever as part of the game that I made and then be able to financially benefit from people coming over from crypto readers, but also crypto readers benefits from me uh, sending people over because the idea is like you separate enough of the systems. So like one of the examples I tried to make in there was like, I didn't like, cause characters in crypto readers also have XP amounts and levels. And so does, so does the, the survivor game that I made, but I purposely didn't tie those two things together 
to have some separations to have progress arcs and stuff like that. So it's like the stats you bring over can help you get a little bit of a head start in terms of like being boosted up a little bit, but they don't replace the gameplay. And I think that was part of my point that maybe I didn't even emphasize enough was that like this purpose of like the symbiotic relationship where you separate out enough elements and overlap enough elements that everyone kind of like can do their own thing. Like you could just come over and play the survivors thing without having an NFT. You could play the crypto raiders thing without having anything to do with survivors, or you could play them both and get some cross benefit, uh, in a way that like they each their own game, but they help each other. And like, obviously like I didn't have anything going back either to crypto raiders, but I could, right. I could have something that I make in there that crypto raiders could then incorporate into their game in a similar fashion. And I think these games can work together. We saw like, for the example, the millions on Mars thing with, um, sunflower farms or sunflower lands, um, showing a, like a symbiotic relationship where they work together and enable different things, cross marketing. Like, I think there's a lot more future than, than people want to kind of admit. People are kind of taking very polarized points of view on interoperability and synergy and, um, and IP and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that's uh, a very, um, web two, I guess, point of view. Like, I think there's, there's some opportunity for some really unique things to happen, but I don't expect them all to become the norm, right? Like not every game is going to do interoperability. It doesn't make sense for every game to do everything, but I think, I, I hope I demonstrated at least some of the potential ideas and implementations and like, you know, use that as an example, whether you're pro or, or a con uh, against interoperability, at least you have something you can point to. Cause I don't, I don't know of a lot of real world examples that we can even point to right now. Cause I, unless you count something like, um, uh, the, the, was it galaxy fight club or something like that? The one that's like the, uh, I, I don't think any of that's out yet though. So I don't think you can even point to that yet. Mm-hmm. I, I like the way you're you're thinking about this. It it seems that especially traditional game makers are like for them interoperability means you like literally take an asset from one game and port it into the next instead of right. And I think maybe the word is is bad for this. But so the well, way that's I why I use the word portability. Um, yes. Specifically, I define that right at the beginning of the article. Is like we're calling that portability, and then we're throwing that out the window, and we're moving on to stuff that actually makes sense. Basically, one well, maybe maybe the difference too is. A lot of the use cases of interoperability I've seen so far have almost been their own closed loop systems where one company is managing five, 10, 20 games right. and the assets are, are created with, with those games in mind. And so they are truly interoperable across this ecosystem. I think to your point, what we're more likely to see is portability from, for external sources where these assets can maybe be moved over, but they're going to function very differently. And maybe that's like the difference that that, that I've seen at least to date. And I mean, I think the, the latter is, is probably the more compelling side. Um, we should just accept the that they run. could act differently and, and then move forward from there and go like, well, what does that mean? What can we do with that? Then instead of looking at it as like this weird compromise, it's like, that's mm -hmm. actually a, a creative opening. Like I, I, if I wanted to incorporate loot into that survivors thing too, I could, you know, like, and decide how, how it makes sense to that game. And this idea that like loot was a great example of demonstrating that, that flexibility. And we talked a little bit about that last episode as well, about that idea of like having some ambiguity being helpful, but even if it, there isn't like, if I just wanted to take like axes and throw them in as like, uh, like monsters you could fight or monsters that fight with you as pets or whatever, like could do that. Right. And if I didn't use axes art, like they, I don't think there's anything they could do to stop me. Like I could just in incorporate them. And if I don't like, I just, as long as I don't use any other IP. And that's the thing is it's like, it doesn't have to be about IP. So let's like maybe focus on what it can be about instead of just like getting mired down in, in international, you know, intellectual property law. Hmm. 
Yeah, the way I would, I, I used to describe and I still describe actually what the blockchain brings to games or to assets is more like, you know, I see the blockchain as a public database more than a, a centralized database where you literally right. have this, you know, open, I call it like it's a wall and everyone has a little, you know, it's, it's like a little post box. Everyone has their post box and everyone has a bunch of stuff in that post box. And so you can go to anyone and tell, and tell them, look, look what I have in my post box. And so, you know, for me, the, the word interoperability and maybe even portability means you're actually like moving shit around, which essentially is not the case, right? You go into a game and you're like, oh, connect wallet. And then, and then the, the, the game knows, oh, this player has these, 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 and these items. And so in the end, it's all about, you know, proving the ownership, like, you know, in a decentralized way, proving the ownership of an asset. And then the game, you know, depending on what assets you have, being able to do something special for you. In the end, it's, it's not much more than that. Um, and, you know, I think trying to understand it in a way that, oh, you know, you, you need to be take, able to take assets from one game to another. And then, you you know, these, ga these assets will work in each game. And then the effect, like what you do with an asset in one game will influence how it acts in another game, I think, you know, is possible. But it's it's just like, I guess, the top surface layer where there's a shit ton more stuff you can do with this. Um, a lot of stuff we don't yet understand. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, I see Devin is frozen on my screen again, so we might have lost him. Um, I think, you know, with, with uh, some of the technical hiccups here, uh, we're also at time, I feel. So, you know, let's let's call it an episode. And, um, yeah, so that's good. Devin, if, if you can hear me, thank you, sir. You did a great job again. Phil, thank you as well. Um, this was a fun one. Um, I am going to go enjoy Bordeaux. Actually, I haven't drank a lot of wine yet. Um, I'm not a wine man. I'm more of a beer man. So, uh, yeah, that's that. Oh, we have we have Devin back. Um, I'm yeah. pulling a Nico today. <laughs> Good. All right, <laughs> uh, friends. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, let us know. Join the Discord um, to have more of these conversations that might spark Devin to build an actual game, um, which is kind of what <laughs> happened. Um, yeah, and um, let's speak to you. Oh, yeah, last thing, we are next week is going to be Gamescom, and we're doing an or like we're doing something there. Go to the Meetup channel in our Discord if you want to join. Um, and we can hang out and have some fun. And Phil and Devin are never at any conferences, so it's just going to be me um, and some of our other friends. Hey, we friends. met up at GDC. Come on now. Oh, we did. That's true. That's true. Good. All right. Uh, also, make sure to to uh, check out the blog post we put out for those of you who weren't aware that we did that. Yes. Who just listened to the podcast. Yes. We are actually starting to write stuff. Phil, maybe you can do like one minute about like um, intro about what we wrote about the first blog post. Yeah, so the first blog post was about analyzing communities and why it's challenged today, um, what metrics are being used and how that's gonna evolve over time. Um, so, you know, really interesting first piece. Definitely go ahead and take a look at it if you if you haven't yet. It's on all of our socials, it's in the Discord, um, but definitely more of those to come. Uh, we'd love to, to get more perspectives from the community out there. I think there's been a lot of interesting conversation happening and solidifying those thoughts and having multiple people read read through them and, and edit is I think going to create some, some pretty interesting content over the next few months. And if so, if you feel like you want to share something and that could be written content, but also, I mean, this podcast is becoming a platform that we want others to have access to as well. So if you want to do something, you know, reach out and we can, uh, we can definitely, definitely help you set something up. All right. Good. That was it. Have a great weekend, everyone, and speak to you next week. Ciao.